A passage this morning is out of the book of Colossians, chapter 2, beginning verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of the world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgives us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It's the word of God for all people. So as we close out the series, Treasures of the Transformed Life, this morning, the most obvious question is, okay, so how do we put all of this information, how do we put into practice the things that we've learned over the last five weeks? And it starts with having a firm foundation. And that foundation for us as Christians is found in God's Word. It's critical for us to be in God's Word. Studying the Bible helps us to know God better, but it also helps us to be transformed as the Word is alive and it, and it interacts with us. And it, it, it helps us to know ourselves even better as we go over the course of time on our journey, learning more and more. If you've ever had someone ask you the question, what does the Bible say about my situation? Where can I find help? What they're basically trying to do is borrow from, from your or someone else's knowledge about the Bible. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with that, think about it this way. Let's say I wanted to get to know Kit. So I went to her friends and I said, Kitty, tell me about Kit. And I tried to get to know Kit through her friends. Or, or maybe there was an article or something that, that told me something about Kit, but I never actually went and talked to Kit. What kind of a relationship would we have? Not a good one, huh? And that's kind of how it is that when, when, we're, when we don't engage in Scripture. Scripture is one of the, the great gifts that God has given to us to get to know who He is, to get to know His character, to get to understand Him and, and how, you know, how He interacts with us, how He has loved us from the beginning, how it doesn't matter how you've messed up. Look at the heroes of the Bible. Every one of them did something wrong and God redeemed them and reconciled them. The message of the Bible is not... It's not primarily about rules and regulations. It's primarily about grace, great, great love, and, and engagement. God wants us to engage with Him. And Scripture is a primary, it's the foundational way that we do that. God is dead. Now, we can't be casual about that either, right? Because if you're not intentional, what does the world do with your time? takes it away. If you don't structure your time, we'll be more than happy to build up with all kinds of stuff. We have a world right now that has so much to do 
that if you have gaps and you don't and and, and, and you don't intentionally look to fill it up with something that will draw you closer to God, then it'll just get filled up. Next thing you know, you're running out empty and you don't even really know why. I don't know why am I tired all the time. I don't have time to read the Bible. Did you hear the story about the man who decided he'd just flip open the Bible to see what God's word was for him on a particular day? He opened it up, put his finger on the page, and read that Judas went out and hung himself. <laughs> he didn't like that much. So he figured, okay, I'll do that again. So he did it again, and his finger found, do likewise. <laughs> well, obviously God didn't want him to do that. So he tried it one more time, and he read, what thou do is do quickly. <laughs> That's known as Bible roulette. That's where we take the Bible, and we go, whoo, wonder what I'm going to get today. That's not being intentional. That's, that, that's being unintentional. And it's not that, that, that you know, you're not going to get a word. But if that's how you're studying the Bible, stop it. <laughs> be intentional. Be, be intentional in, in your study of the word. You have to be humble enough. We have to be humble enough to, to understand that, to learn about God and God's word is the primary way to do that. We have to humble ourselves. Spend time in the Word. It's one of our marks of discipleship is daily Bible study. Now, I know that some days we really don't have time to spend in depth Bible study, and I get that. But we ought to be looking at Scripture every single day. There's no reason not to. If you do a devotional that's based on Scripture, you know, that can be your Scripture for the day. But please be intentional. We need to study, too. We need to be studying, because that's the foundation. You want to know who God is, you want to use about the character of God. Get into His Word. Yes, He'll reveal to you through the power of His Holy Spirit, but if you're relying solely on, his, on, on what you get from without the Bible, then you, know, you can get led astray pretty easy. We need the Bible, and we need to study it. That's the foundation of it all. God's revelation to us. But then again, then, we also need a solid and persistent prayer life. Solid and persistent prayer life. We have to keep at it. We have to keep at it. Paul tells us to pray all the time. That we develop a life of prayer where, you know, if you're driving somewhere and somebody pops in your head, you decide to pray for them. I call those spiritual nudges, by the way. So a lot of times God doesn't come out and hit me over the head with a two by four, but he does want me to pray for somebody, and so Sam will come in my head and he'll be like, oh, Sam, okay, I'll pray for Sam. Because everybody knows Sam needs prayer. So, <laughs> Uh, Sam didn't give me an amen. Uh, sorry, everybody knows the amen. <laughs> but when folks talk in our head, pray for I don't know what it's about, but I trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in my heart and my mind. And when somebody puts in your head, call somebody, guess what you, got? you probably ought to do? Call. Just pick up the phone and call. You don't have to say anything special. Hey, I was just thinking about you. You don't have to say, well, the Lord told me to call you. What's going on? <laughs> no. Hey, Sean, how you doing? I, I just, you know, just thought about you today, thought I'd give you a call. What's up? How you doing? I'm doing great. And she's doing great? Okay, cool. 
But that's how simple it is when we when, when we follow the nudgings of the Holy Spirit. But but we need God's word for that foundation, and we need to be in communication with God. You want to hear from God, you have to be in relationship with God. And prayer is how we talk and listen and, and, and we get to know who He is. That's powerful for us, and it's necessary for us. That thing about the hand, which was really interesting to me, I, I've read this book a couple of times, and for whatever reason, I didn't um, catch that. I started doing that. It's, it's a kid's thing, really, but I guess I'm probably not a kid at the end of the day. Anyway, but if you weren't here, what it, what it is, is John F. Madison, he, he, this is how he designed for his dad, Bob Tip. So he prayed, first thing was pray for those who are closest to you. Pray for your, your family. He said, I start with Kit, and I pray for our family, and I pray for my family in California, and I pray for her family here. And that expands into other friends. And, and then after that, those who point me to God, and I have an accountability here, so I pray for them, and I pray for others, and I pray for Bold Springs and the leadership here. Those who are helping to point me to God, so that's what that figure is for. This is to pray for the country and for those in leadership, those in high places. It's, it's the tallest of our fingers. And so spend time praying for, Lord knows this country needs prayer, right? <laughs> so spend time praying for the President and the and Congress and all of our governor and all of our leaders. This finger is, is, is kind of weak. And so, so it reminds me to pray for those who are poor and those who are in need and, and, and those who are lost, those, those who are not strong. And then, me. I'm at the end of it. Now, the thing that has happened for me, and, and I didn't intend for it to be this way, you know what happens about for me by the time I go through praying pray for all of these folks and I get to me? Think again. Yeah, I pray for myself, but, but I don't pray for, it's a different kind of prayer, because when I used to do that, would be first, before I'd start with making these words, I'd know. And I pray for stuff that, I find myself not having, it is not at the point. You know, once I pray for all of the things going on in the world and all the things going on in my life and it gets to me, you know, I don't need a lot of new stuff. I'm, I'm a pretty blessed guy. And it has transformed my prayer life. We need to kind of, that's a kid thing, right? That, that's what that's for. That's what I think. Easy. And it changed my prayer Paul talks about being in, in prayer continuously and to cast our cares upon the Lord and, and, and to let go of our anxieties. Stuff is now popping up in my head again. And there's a time in my life when, when that happened for me all the time. I, I was, I, I've, met, I've done that calling somebody in the middle of the night just because, you know, my spirit wouldn't settle. It would be 2 o'clock in the morning and I called somebody who was up struggling with something. And I've had those things happen in my life. But it's been a while because you know what I love the world do, or, or not really, you know, not necessarily the world. Sometimes it's good stuff. I let the church and the focus that I have drift away from my connection to God. And it got in between me and, and I wasn't hearing Him the way that I am. I'm starting to get those nudges again and starting to get those. Am I? It holds this person. It's cool. I encourage you to do it. Just try it. Try it for two weeks. It's simple. And as long as you got a hand, you can remember how to do it. So this is who? Closest. Does it point me to God? 
the high places, those who are weak and lost, and then me. Try that. Let's do this first. See what happens. So you read every day and pray that that in that fashion. One of our marks of discipleship is what? Come on, guys. A bunch of you have signed that thing, so I know. Daily prayer. Daily prayer. Amen. That's right. So, so we pray every day. Do you know lobsters have tough shells? That's that for the same way. <laughs> Those shells protect them from danger, right? And, and you might think that, that with a lobster, they have that shell for their whole life, but they don't. They shed, they molt, they, they molt shells, right? And then they build a new one. They can shed that shell 25 times over the course of five to seven years. It's a lot of time. And each time that happens, the new shell begins as a softening. It takes a little while to harden. And during that time, they are the most vulnerable to predators and, and to other, other things that they are in their mind. That's kind of weird, Mark. What we Glad you asked. We're similar in our journey. See, we begin to grow, and our shell no longer fits, so we shed that shell. And during that following period of time, we are the most vulnerable that we ever are. And the enemy knows that. Satan knows that. That's why when you start to get on track, and you're and, and, and you're you're following, you're praying every day, and you're doing these things, stuff starts happening to try to draw you away. That Cheryl and, and Charlie just went on a face-to-face encounter. What always happens, and this is this is an interesting dynamic around walk from amazed walks and face-to-face encounter. For the team, stuff gets in the way for the team, and, and things happen that pull them away and, and try to keep them from being able to serve and honor God. Stuff happens for the folks who are going on on the on the encounter or the walk to try to keep them from those that time spent focused on what does God have for me. That's a natural part of the walk. See, when we're beginning to shed our shell, it's our most vulnerable time than if we just stay with the same old shell. And while we're in that process of finding new paths, we leave ourselves open to predators, kind of like the lobsters do. We risk falling back into old habits before new ones are established. And you see this in churches all the time. They'll start to make a move, and then something will happen. And they'll give up. They'll go home. Let's go back to that protected place. That place where I know that I'm okay. It's scary out there. To move into a new place is to risk. Personally, professionally, as a church, as a congregation, when we begin to take that step, it's a risk. And we don't inherently, as human beings, like risk. We just don't. The good news, though, is that God offers us a new shell to grow into every single time. He already knows the plan He has for us. He knows the path He has prepared for us. Are we going to walk? Are we going to take that risk? And as we find new place after new place, and we watch new shell after new shell grow, we become increasingly confident that there's always more where that came from. 
There's always more where that came from. Because God is there. And he has a plan to prosper us. We can live it out fully when we rely on him. And we follow him. But we've got to get to know him. Scripture. Prayer. Another aspect of transformation is that it's going to take some time. The first two verses of our passage this morning read, so that, so that just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See, when you plant a seed, you can't expect to come back the next day and have a plant. Right? Got any farmers in here? That ever happened to you? The correct answer is, no, that didn't happen. You know, you didn't plant a seed and then, hey, look, it's a tree. Doesn't happen that way. What do you have to do? Nurture it. You have to water it. You have to take care of it. And you have to give it time. Takes time. Takes time. In our journey, it's going to take time. This idea of transformation takes time. Time is a lifelong journey. Some of us have been on it for a long time. The longer that we're on it, that we realize the less we know. I used to be really, really, really super smart. I'm not very smart anymore. There's more stuff I don't know than I know. It's crazy. I'm way dumber than I used to be. And if you're smart, you're way dumber too. <laughs> but that's how it works, right? Because as, as our mind begins to go, wow, there's a lot more to this than I thought. Start reading scripture. Wow, there's a lot more to this than God will reveal stuff to you. Bible study Wednesday. Lazarus came up. He's only, only in the Gospel of John, right? Jim, wherever you are. Isn't that right, Jim? Lazarus, Gospel of John. So we had a discussion about that. I didn't realize that. I never put those two things together. It's interesting. I'm more than 25 years old. <laughs> I've been a Christian a long time. And put that together. I love that that happens. I love Bible study. I love that that, that stuff happens all the time. First Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness. Physical exercise has some value. I gotta work on that. But spiritual exercise is much more important for it promises a reward in both this life and the next. See, Paul tells us that it's gonna take time and it's gonna take training. Henry now said spiritual life doesn't remove us from the world, but leads us deeper into it. Seek spiritual growth. Think about athletes that train for the Olympics. What if they decided that they would only train on the days they felt like it? How, how would they do? Not very good. What about, you know, I'm only going to eat good when I feel like it. Yeah, it's not going to turn out very well. They're not going to be an Olympic athlete, I'll tell you that. They train. They pay attention. They're intentional about what they eat and what they do, what they put into their body, how much sleep they get. They pay attention. They are intentional about training. And we are, need to be the same in our spiritual journey. See, being a disciple infers being disciplined. But we don't like that word. I don't like that word. But it doesn't change the fact that it's any less true. If you want to be good at something, and it's important to you, then you have to be disciplined about pursuing it. 
But please understand, even the disciples weren't very good at it. Right? Think about Peter. Was he very disciplined? They're coming to get Jesus and they're in the garden once Peter did. Off with your ear. They can't take it. Jesus is going to wash his feet. What does he do? Oh no, Lord, if you're going to wash me, then wash everything. You've got to wash all of me. Peter was impulsive. He didn't start out as a, as a strong disciple. In, he didn't start out disciplined. He was always a good disciple. But he didn't start out, he struggled with discipline. But it wasn't just him. James and John tried to call down, call down fire, kill those guys. That's reactionary. That's our, that's our disciples. We're on a journey. And we're on a journey together. So be patient and keep moving. Keep on your way. When you run into opportunities to grow in your faith, grab hold of them. Grab hold of them. Most of us have probably not been as disciplined in study and service and prayer and giving and, and all of the, the marks of discipleship as we would like to be. But it doesn't mean that we can't get better. It doesn't mean that we can't grow. And there's a word that I, I hope that you use on yourself, and that word is grace. That word is grace. It's not an excuse to not do. But when we fall short, God extends grace to us, and we need to learn how to extend grace to ourselves. We need to learn how to do that. Pick yourself up. Back on the path. Take the next step. What's the next right thing to do? When we increase our level of devotion to the things of God, we will find that we have increased our level of devotion to God. The things go hand in hand. And out of that devotion, our witness to God will increase. We often think of witnessing or evangelism as something for somebody else to do, right? That's what the preacher does or the pastor. That's not what I do. That's for you. You go, you go tell people about Jesus. I'm not. I'm uncomfortable. Well, I'm sorry, but it's your job. Just like it's my job, it's our job together to share our faith. But don't complicate it. There's a simple, there's a talk on the Amazed Weekend, is, is, and, and they put it very simply. They said, make a friend, be a friend, introduce your friend to Christ. That's how you do it. That's evangelism. Bill Heibel, in a study that kids do, and then they, in that he, he puts it, he says, develop friendships, get to know people, discover stories, listen. And out of that, you'll discern next steps. That's a prayerful consideration of understanding that God's going to prompt you to be involved in their life. All of that to say, here's how you do it. Be who you are for him. Be who you are for him. And he'll do the rest. That's witnessing. That's evangelism. That's what we're talking about when we talk about living this out in our life. Be who you are. Don't be the wife. Be who you are. For him. That's as complicated as it needs to be. Now, we'll try to make it more of it. That's as complicated as it needs to be. It does mean, though, that we must find a way to hang out with folks who are in the world. If you look in your life and all you're surrounded by are other Christians, you have, you're not in the world and not of the world. You're out of the world. You've got to be in the world. 
you want to share faith with people, guess who you need to be involved with? People without faith. So, so we need to engage in that. And the natural inclination of the long life as a Christian, because I look at my life, uh, a few years ago, as part of the ordination process, they uh, asked me that question, and I started looking at my life, and I'm surrounded primarily by Christians. I had to begin to go, okay, hang on. I've got to get out of this. I've got to begin to get further outside of my comfortable friend. And if you're not careful, you'll find that you've done the same. We need, to, we need to have Christian friends, but we also need to be involved with those who are not Christians. That they might see Christ in you, Christ in you. And that's part of our marks of discipleship, right? That's what we've been talking about. Remember what they are? I don't have to fly. Yes, it's a... <laughs> She's changing. Yes, Claire. Um, daily reading. Daily reading of the Bible. Um, weekly worship. Weekly worship. Um, either time, just in the office. That's right. Relationships. Friendships. The above spiritual relationships, that would be a, a disciple or mentor to others and be a disciple or mentor. Daily prayer. Daily prayer. One more. What do you do when you help somebody? You did awesome. Let's let somebody, what's the other one? Service inside and outside the walls of the church. That was awesome, Claire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so be like Claire. We should be able to talk about these things because this is the daily part of our journey in our life, right? These are the things that we're looking into. So let me close this morning with just two things. The first is the scripture. It's one of my favorite passages. Hopefully you spent time in Romans 12. If not, I will probably be encouraging you to read Romans 12 and spend time in it all. It's powerful. But this is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So that says that how we live our life is our true and proper worship. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, means that what I do and where I do it is my offering to God. It's not just what we do here. Please, if you have framed worship as the once a week Sunday morning thing, that is not right. Worship is how we live our life everywhere that we are. It's our true and proper worship. And I love verse 2. Do not conform the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is how you will learn what God's will for you is. It's pleasing and proper will. Say that with me, just verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Marks of discipleship is the renewing of our mind. It's the past transformation. That's what we've been talking about for six weeks. If you'll do these things, your life will not be the same. 
cannot be the same. If we seek to fulfill those two verses, please read more of the Bible than that. But if we seek to, if we just fulfill those two verses, our life will be transformed. And the second thing is a quote from John Wesley. He was the reluctant founder of Methodism. He never left the Anglican Church, by the way. But he's the one that, that, we, uh, that we came from. Very sure. The best of it is, God is with us. The best of it is, God is with us. Don't know what you're going through. Don't know what your life's like. But the best of it is that God is with you. He's not going anywhere. He's not leaving you. He's walking beside you. He'll carry you if he needs to. The best of it is, God is with you. No matter what. You're not traveling alone. No matter what's going on in your life. The best of it is, man, that God is with you. Always and forever. But our response is critical. We're going to close with a with the song here, here, my here, and the question is: Will you leave it to somebody else, or will you say to God, "Here I am, Lord, because I will. I've heard you call me tonight. I will go, Lord, if you leave. Me. I will hold your people in my heart." Will you do that? as part of your journey.